Support for SyncBook Radio comes from listeners like you. Consider helping to make independent productions like SyncBook Radio possible by becoming a donor. Your generous gift helps to keep these unique voices broadcasting and exploring. Details about how you can help can be found at thesyncbook.com slash donate. Thanks. Who is it? It's Major Briggs, Agent Cooper. Just a moment. Major? May I come in, please? I have a message for you. From whom? Now, I'm not at liberty to reveal the nature of my work. This secrecy pains me from time to time. Any bureaucracy that functions in secret inevitably blends itself to corruption. But these rules I have pledged to uphold, and I believe a pledge is sacred. Speaking as a man and a fellow employee of the federal government, so do I. Well, I may reveal this much. Among my many tasks is the maintenance of deep space monitors aimed at galaxies beyond our own. We routinely receive various communications, space garbage to decode and examine. They look something like this. It's radio waves and gibberish, Agent Cooper. Till Thursday night, Friday morning to be exact. Around the time that I was shot. The readout took us by surprise. Row after row of gibberish, and all of a sudden, the owls are not what they seem. Why did you bring this to me? Because later in the morning, Carl Jung coined the term synchronicity. This is his definition. Synchronicity is the coming together of inner and outer events in a way that cannot be explained by cause and effect, and it's meaningful to the observer. Our shorter definition, of course, would be a meaningful coincidence. Shorter still would be to just say pay attention. The shortest definition of synchronicity is magic. I mean that literally. It is magic. Hello and good morning. I'm Douglas Bowles, and you're listening to 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and thesyncbook.com, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. You can find us online at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets, at Sync42 and at SyncBook. Today is the 22nd day of July, and this is episode number 146. Today's show is brought to you in part by Picture This Frame Shop and Gallery. For more than 17 years, they've been building custom frames with thousands to choose from, and the gallery features the work of many interesting fine artists. For more information, check them out at facebook.com slash NelsMJ. That's N-E-L-S-M-J. Also, we are taking all of next month off to regroup. 
and go to the Olympia Sync Summit, of course, but subscribe to the podcast either on iTunes or Stitcher because we will have plenty of cool bonus audio each week. And don't forget about the Sync Summit. It's right around the corner. There are still tickets available, so check out thesyncbook.com slash holy2014. Yet today, we are hiking off into the mountains to see if we can't discover a gem state. Yes, sir, and our guest is our guide. Good morning, I'm William Morgan, and today we are spending 42 minutes with outdoor educator and guide, Mike Cleland. Mike has established himself as one of the most interesting and distinguished voices in the field of UFO abduction and synchronicity. He runs a blog called Hidden Experience, where he posts essays, personal experiences, and auto interviews featuring hundreds of hours of audio. He also contributed to a chapter to Sync Book 2, from which I read the introduction. Uh, more information about his work can be found at his website, hiddenexperience.blogspot.com. Mike is also an artist, having published a number of cartoon instructional books about hiking and camping. We are very pleased to be meeting with him today for the first time. Welcome, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Mike, have you ever heard of a Lorenz attractor? No, I have no idea what that is. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Okay, so for whatever reason, I've been really interested in the idea of synchronicity as a science. And in that, I, it's led me to the study of chaos theory. And there's a wonderful book by James Glick called Chaos. And it just outlines the formation of this new science where they're basically looking at the science of synchronization where things chaotic things synchronize together um self what do they call that self organizing systems basically but one of the first people to really open that field up was a, a climatologist named Lorenz and he um he modeled some equations on a chaotic system and he came up with uh, something called the strange attractor, and it, I, I want to to send you in Skype a, a link to the image, and I want to see if you can what it looks like to you. I'd be really curious to see to see your first impression of what you think that is. Ah, yes, that looks very much like a uh, a. <laughs> Like it, that looks like the eyes of an owl, obviously, as well as the uh, uh, interesting, very much like the eyes of an owl. They have a very dish-shaped uh, eye sockets, as well as uh, obviously the gray alien. So, which is overlapping. Oh, this is great. Yeah, and so, <laughs> and so basically, what this man's equations say is that you know the system behaves chaotically, but there, these these equations strange attract and do create some sort of symmetry, and it's just so so interesting. Could you tell us a little bit about why owls are interesting interesting to you? Well, so uh, in 2006, I had a series of owl sightings that were really profound, really strange, seeing multiple owls all at the same time, uh, and. Um, and that was at the very early stages of my 
well, actually, I'll say that was the genesis. That was the impetus of my uh, looking into my own UFO experiences. Up until that point, I had had a handful of life experiences that I was fully aware of and I could talk about, but I completely dismissed them as nothing at all. UFO sightings, missing time events, and, and even seeing uh, you know, gray aliens in my yard in the middle of the night. I managed to dismiss all of that, just kind of pushed it away and like, you know, huh, you know, no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't face it in any meaningful way. Um, I had these owl sightings in the fall of 2006. Uh, and the act of this is to tell the story properly would take up, you know, well over the length of your show here. But, uh, so seeing those owls, you know, real owls out in the mountains, out in the wild that were uh, flying around me, sitting next to me, landing next to me. I was with another person. Um, we were talking about, you know, really, uh, we were actually talking about God right when the first owls showed up. Um, and then it happened again, like four days later, almost the exact same thing with the exact same person. I'm actually convinced it was the same three owls. So, uh, and, you know, literally lying down to go to sleep under the starry night of a, of, you know, in the high Rocky mountains um, and having the owls fly right over your face. And there's just a moment when they'll, they'll block out the sunlight for just a, just a microsecond. And they fly very silently, excuse me, they'll block out the stars for just a second. Um, and they fly silently. So there's a um, really eerie quality to it. And, and in that moment of seeing those owls, I said very clearly to myself, it was actually more like a voice, a screaming voice in my head that said, this has something to do with the UFOs. So that set of sightings was the reason I started looking into my own UFO experiences. And the act of looking into these experiences from going from denial to questioning, let's say, um, and investigating myself, it felt like the trap door like opened up from underneath me. I was hit with so many weird powerful synchronicities so many owl sightings and and that was in a way my confirmation that that whatever was going on was real it wasn't the memories of the experiences i was very skilled at putting those behind me i was very skilled at denying those but i couldn't deny the 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 onslaught of synchronicities and i couldn't deny all the owl sightings that were irrationally uh prolific you know, I, I live in this town and there's plenty of people who, you know, I share, you know, I could, I could turn to and say, listen, here's what's going on with me. I'm seeing all these owls. I'm seeing them here. I'm seeing them here. I'm seeing them in big groups. I'm seeing them at this time. I'm seeing them when I'm thinking about things. And then they would say, boy, that has never happened to me. And, and I'm, you know, in the same terrain as them. This is, I actually live in a place where there are owls. And so it's not uncommon to see an owl off in a fence post or maybe a telephone pole as the sun is setting, but that's not what I was experiencing. I was experiencing, it felt like direct interaction between me and owls. Now I'm kind of curious on whether owls even fly in pairs or in groups. Every time I've seen an owl, it's always been singular. That seems weird that you would be almost engaged by a whole flock of owls. Well, they certainly do occasionally uh, gang up together. So that is not uncommon that they will uh, appear all together in a group. Um, I mean, it is uncommon, but it is not unheard of. So, uh, you know, there's photographs, you know, photographers will get an owl of, you know, pictures of a few owls sitting together on a, on a fence. But but it is it is um, it is certainly not the norm. I just Googled, you, you would get a kick out of this. I just get, I Googled, do owls fly in pairs? And I got a Yahoo answer. 
This is what someone asked. Last night I was staring at the stars when suddenly two large white things flew across the sky that stayed together, and I only saw them for a minute. Then they flew behind a tree and disappeared. I'm not crazy. The neighbor kids saw them too and started yelling, Angels! We saw angels! <laughs> and and I can't, can't help but, like, like if that, that sounds exactly like a UFO report, uh, in, in a sense. There, at no point did, this, did the, the witness ever mention owls. In, to, uh, but, um, I mean, that's what a UFO report reads like. Including the the sort of mythic quality of someone, you know, yelling angels. Uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that that seems to. Though I don't remember ever hearing anything exactly like that. That is this. That is the tone of what shows up in UFO reports. I've read uh, Mothman prophecy too. This seems to be related for some reason to me, especially when you get the reports of the four foot owls and stuff like that. Well, the f- reports of the four foot owls. Uh, would be a screen memory, and anyone who's who's sort of dipped their toe into the UFO abduction lore would recognize the screen memory thing, and that shows up where uh, an, an observer, an abductee, would say something like, "Oh, I was driving down the road at night, and I turned this corner, and then standing in the middle of the road was this four-foot owl. It was really weird. I pulled right up to it. It was looking at me over the hood of my car, and the next thing I know, I was driving home, and I pulled into my driveway, and I was, and I was two hours late." Um, those kind of reports are are so commonplace and uh, almost to the point – I want to be careful how I say this – almost to the point where I'm – like I, 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 I hear them so often and I, I don't want to say I'm bored with them because I'm certainly not. But um, the implication is that what is happening is that the, the abductee or the person, the witness, has had some sort of event that would uh, – where a, a quite probably the classic gray alien would be using some sort of psychic uh, hypnotic mind control to to project the image of an owl and um, and that image would then be what the witness remembers uh, you know some researchers would would argue that the next step would be to go th- through hypnotic regression and and, and then from that you would learn you know what happened during that missing time and and quite probably what would emerge is a um, UFO abduction event where the owl uh, isn't an owl at all uh you've seen the fourth kind of the movie perhaps i have and i that 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 to me that to me is a is an example of uh the hollywood scriptwriters that that movie was supposedly based on real events and that was all kind of a publicity hoax um you know it was certainly based on scriptwriters digging through the UFO abduction literature, but it was not based on a real set of events that took right. place in Alaska. Um, you know, there was supposedly uh, live, or how would you say it, like archived videotape uh, stuff that was interjected into the film that was supposedly from the actual regressions and, and uh, you know, police car uh, videos and things like that. But, um, you know, that was all staged. And, and as far as the publicity stunt, you know, sure, that's awesome. I'm all for that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, you know, playful trickery. But, um, you know, what my sense is, is that all the scriptwriters did was dig through some of the literature. And this traces back to Whitley Strieber's book, Communion, which I think was published in 1987. 89. No, 87. Oh, that's right. The movie came out in 89. It was yeah. written 86 was his experience. The book came out in 87. Yeah. yeah. 
And uh, actually, 85 was his experience, I think, oh. because it happened in December, yeah, you're right. almost the last four days to the end of the uh, of 85, right. um, just the day after Christmas. But uh, yeah, because I have some pretty strong syncs with that too, and I remember that. That's the I think that he does mention owls as the screen memory, and then he associates them to Athena, if I remember correctly too, which is interesting because uh, as we were talking about the fourth kind. Who stars the Mia Jovovich? I mean, it's very—it's a Blair Witch movie. I know what you're talking about. It's uh, really staged, but meant to be convincing. Anyways, Mia Jovovich is the actress, and in a very like synchromistic way. I don't know if you've seen the movie The Messenger. Uh, On, I don't think so. No, The Messenger is the story of Joan of Arc, where Mia Jovovich plays. She plays Joan of Arc, and if you've ever seen the movie, it's set up to where you're not really sure if she's psychotic, she's getting messages from God, but there's also a tinge of UFO in it, too. Like, she's sitting there, and there's objects flying over her head, and it kind of leads you to believe that the two aliens that she's talking to might be extraterrestrials. But, of course, she's dressed like Athena because she's fully armed. Do you get what I'm yes, saying? and are there any owls in the movie? Just out of curiosity. No, I went looking really close. Okay, so <laughs> so the, now here's the I'm working on a book project right now, and the working title for the book is The Messengers. Ah, so. well, see that that makes sense because the messenger, uh, the owl's always the messenger, right? Well, that's in even in uh, 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 Harry Potter. Right, uh, he has a pet owl. Uh, that delivers the mail. So the owl is the messenger. So right up into present day, you know, we've got, you know, emerging mythos uh, coming from J.K. Rowling and um, where the owl is the messenger. And curiously enough, this is more a little bit how my brain works. Owl shows up right in the right in the name Rowling, J.K. Rowling. Oh, wow. Wouldn't you even have. Oh well, yeah, and I believe me. I, I, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm kind of. I feel. I feel like I'm a little tortured by how often I catch it at this point. So, <laughs> it also shows up in Aleister Crowley, and it shows up uh, in yes. Raymond Fowler and stuff like that. So yeah. And I was uh, Christopher Knowles. Christopher Knowles, <laughs> yeah. You know, so. Well, so that's interesting in terms of your subject matter because it does seem like it's three pronged, where you have UFOs, owls, and synchronicity, and so that's interesting that. Because oftentimes synchronicity is perceived as a language, some kind of universal thing where to reach the heart of the matter, you're reading the symbolically what, what the universe is saying to you. And then to take that back to the strange attractor that I was talking about, it's interesting because that same language is used for synchronicity. The idea that something is in training or strange attracting something else where these non-connected things all of a sudden are connected in some way to the individual could you talk about the connection between ufo's owls and synchronicity well at this point i'm i'm treating them all the same i mean obviously they are they are not the same thing but as a th- sort of a thought experiment um you know owls synchronicities and ufo's all have a certain power. And I mean, I think anyone who sees an owl in the, in the wild, even just a glimpse of one, especially a close-up glimpse of one, they have a majesty and a power that is unlike really any other animal. Um, they, they are, I mean, you know, Joe Sixpack will, will talk about seeing an owl in almost mythical, you know, adjectives. Uh, it's, it's a really, and I, and I know that you know, our, I mean, I sense that anyone would, would have that same reaction from someone seeing an owl tonight to our, to our, um, 
you know, ancestors, you know, emerging from the cave. Uh, so if if you treat owl synchronicities and UFOs all as the same thing, in a way, you have to you have to sort of step back. You can't treat this logically. You almost have to treat these events as you know, like like someone who's doing dream analysis. What's the symbology of it? What's the uh, you know, there's kind of a dream logic to to all three of those, to synchronicities, to owl sightings, as well as to UFO sightings. Um, so it's forced me, which has actually been hard because I felt like I was, and I'm almost speaking in the last past sense. I feel like I, I try to stay grounded, but I but I work really hard to to not be tied down to the logical side of my mind and to allow the more oh playful or artistic side of my mind to to wrestle with these um oh these divergent challenging symbols almost um so i you know i i don't have an answer to what it means or whatever all i can say is that you know like studying this and wrestling with these ideas has proven very fruitful and i have been I mean, you know, the UFO sighting, the owl sighting, the the synchronicities, they are all sort of arriving in my lap. Um, you know, I actually, whatever, as far as me having UFO sightings, I haven't really had that many. But what I'm receiving is, uh, you know, people are sharing their experiences with me. I mean, people are sending me emails and saying, you know, here's an owl experience for you. And then it'll be an owl UFO event. And and I'm flooded with them. Like, I've, all, I've got so much data I don't know what to do with. I'm buried underneath it. and and um, And it's all sort of not all of it but the stuff that's that i'm most interested in i guess i'm cherry picking i'm filtering out certain things but i'm certainly glomming on to the ones that have that ethereal quality to it that sort of dreamlike logic to it and 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 those stories are very consistent and very real as far as i can say well then who is the queen of the night and what are you doing with her Oh, the Queen of the Night. Oh, the Queen. Of the, so they're, they're just a recent blog post. I was just in the UK. I was just in London. And um, there is a, uh, a piece of artwork from Babylonia. I would have to look up the date here. Let me just click on something here. I can give you some more exact dates. Um, the uh, So if you Google UFOs, excuse me, there I just did it. If you Google owls and goddess or owls and mythology, the first image that comes up is this thing called the Bernie relief. And the Bernie relief is, is you know, there behind the glass. It's not very big. It's only about 18 inches tall. And it's this plaque that shows uh, actually a really nice symmetrical image of this woman. And she's got wings and, and uh, she's naked and she has talons for feet. And she is standing on the back of two lions and she's flanked right and left by two owls. And this is uh, there's a lot of conjecture on who it might be. Um, some people say it's uh, Lilith. Some people say it's Inanna. Some people say it's Ishtar. No one really knows. It's it's um, uh, it's it has been dated between 1800 and 1750 BCE. So it's pretty. Uh, I mean, there's there's no real knowledge of what it might be. But what it is, in a funny way, is a kind of a Rorschach test where you can look into it and get whatever you want. This this image. The Bernie relief is sometimes called the queen of the night. Um, and is it a goddess? Is it a demon? Uh, so there's no real way to know. But but I, what I want it to do, and I, I recognize this in me, is to sort of use that as a jumping off point um, to 
for all kinds of speculation about you know about mythology and ancient ancient fear of the night and but but i I think that would be a mistake in a way because um you know it's just a simple clay tablet that that some artisan did a nice rendering on, and I don't know I mean it could have been just somebody's you know doodling for all for all anyone knows um though it is very it does have a very you know uh powerful aesthetic look to it um so so uh if you google the bernie relief this is one of the problems with doing online research you google bernie relief oh you just get flooded with you know people who just attach every conceivable ancient myth to it and and i think that's a mistake um though it, it does make for some interesting reading and i could certainly cherry pick little things out of you know one essay or one blog post from that someone who's commented on this and and create a uh you know kind of a narrative to meet you know i could just pick the little puzzle pieces out and string them together to create the narrative that i want it to be and i and i and i recognize that's a seductive uh avenue to go down and i'm just kind of i've just recognized that it'd be a mistake to go down that avenue and and, and uh so and in essence that that post was just me saying like whoa you know this is a this is an image that i and i took a picture of myself actually i had a tourist take a picture of me standing next to it um but uh just because it shows up so much in whenever i you know try to do online research there that was a long answer sorry i hope that made a little bit of sense <laughs> it's interesting because had we spoken to you a year or two ago i think we would have done a much different show but that's just because i think one of the places our show is going to is this idea of the true nature of reality and in that recently we just spoke to uh, gentleman Patrick Harper, where he's he's comparing a daimonic reality with a quantum reality, where these two things become the same. Um, previously, it was hard for me to wrap my head around a UFO experience because I I didn't have any. We're living in a scientific materialistic world, and therefore I I have to have tangibility and logic. And so I would cast these things purely psychological. Oh, these things are real, but they're not necessarily real. And, and uh, yeah, I agree completely. Yes, yes. But now, it, with with the the way things are opening up scientifically on our program, it feels like, you know, the Whitley Strieber stuff doesn't necessarily have to be happening just in his head. You know, the idea of this this space between where material and magic coincide seems to be can you explain your relationship to that space between the two worlds where reality is shifty uh well what i can say is that there's a sort of pop culture definition of like the ufo contact experience right you watch a late night tv documentary and you see you know reenactments with blue light and scary music and rubber masks and things like that and 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 in a half hour documentary you can only say so much right so you have the person being taken from their bed or being pulled from their car at night and they get taken on board a flying saucer and these little you know evil doctors basically are performing medical experiments and then they these people are handed back that in the pop culture framework is the totality of the experience. But I am like, I talk to people all the time. I talk to people like day after day. I do these four hour phone calls. That's what I've learned. It takes is you're not going to even 
begin to tap into someone's experience until you've like crossed the four hour line. And then you just start getting into the interesting stuff. And what I've found is that 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 pop culture definition, you know, that shows up in with books by um, Bud Hopkins and, and David Jacobs. I mean, that's there, though, that that element is involved in the but the picture is so much bigger and so much weirder. And the people who are reporting these experiences and I would have to include myself in this, even though I have no memories that match the the pop culture lore. You know, being, you know, I just it may have happened. I just don't have the memories of it. But what I am finding is the people I'm talking to are having profoundly mystical experiences. They're um, they are, uh, you know, that like this almost like like shamanic awakening, like a shamanic uh, induction is taking place and what has happened. I mean, I cannot tell you how many people like I just, I almost don't even bother writing it down when I take notes anymore is how many people say, Oh yes, you know, I do hands-on healing. I do energy work. I do Reiki. I have, you know, and I, the, that, you know, that, that almost as soon as you start saying Reiki and sort of hands-on energy work, you're right at the outer fringes of what may be considered, you know, uh, scientific study. Uh, and then Joe Normal may read a little, uh, you know, uh, a book where he talks about uh, string theory and quantum theory. And I, I actually avoid any of those terms because I, I really don't understand them. And I much prefer terms like mythos and, and um, uh, you know, the lore of the unknown because the the stories themselves speak volumes. And then trying to trying to, you know, Monday morning quarterback these stories and try to figure out what they might mean is almost uh, fruitless because because all you can really do is there's a power in a in a majesty almost to these stories that is undeniable. And they are um, they do tell of something. The interaction doesn't seem to be I think it is far too simplistic to say that the interaction between the UFO abductee, which is a totally loaded term, and I'm just using it because that's the catchphrase we all know the the the, the interaction between the, that individual and this other realm is not taking place on a metal spaceship with with little uh, anthropomorphized versions of us from some you know, future timeline or farther down our own evolutionary scale. I mean, that's, we've simplified it. We're basically saying the UFO abductors, you know, the, 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 the UFO occupants that are do, doing the abductions are in essence us. They are just a little further down our evolutionary timeline. You know, we do the same thing. We fly a helicopter into Yellowstone National Park, and then we, we recreate the same abduction narrative with a bear. Um, the, the, Aliens on their flying saucers are basically doing the same thing with a little more fancy technology. That that is a very easy assumption to make. I I don't think it's true. I think what is going on is far more complex, much more subtle, dipping into realms of consciousness and overlapping synchronicities, and and that is something that shows up a lot with UFO abductees. It's one of the questions I ask. Is I say. So, um, have you had a lot of synchronicities in your life? And they, they almost are so flabbergasted that they, by the volume of synchronicities that they have, that they, they, they can only answer in like, you know, grand, uh, you know, they, they basically roll their eyes and, and can't even 
begin to declare how many synchronicities they have. So it is, it is the synchronicity and UFO contact experience is intertwined. I, I feel confident of that. And another, now I said this to a friend of mine and kind of was felt like I was making this bold statement that UFO abductees are having more synchronistic experiences than the average person. And this friend of mine, she kind of rolled her eyes and she said, anyone on a spiritual path will have more synchronicities than the average person. And I think that's true. She was correct. So what that tells me is that the UFO abduction experience is a spiritual path. Um, and and that that is being borne out in my research. And I will say that my research is... You know, I'm filtering and cherry picking and, and sort of glomming on to the to the folks and reports that I that 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 um, that tickle me most. So I, I do feel I'm not an I'm not being a uh, objective researcher. I'm being a subjective. I don't even want to use the term researcher. Like you know, I'm self-reflexive, trying to make sense of my own experiences through this investigation. There, another long answer. Sorry. <laughs> well, to switch gears a second, I, you know, I have seen UFOs. I don't think that my my experiences would match yours. However, there is one experience that I did share with you, um, and this has to do not so much. This is more of a sink issue. Um, I had gotten off Skype talking to Jake Katza because we were working along the same research. Um, that dealing with 2000, the relationship between 2001, uh, King Kong, and a couple of movies that came out right before 9/11, and my research mainly involved the actor Jeff Bridges. Jake's was centered around Charlize Theron. Anyways, long story short, I was laying in bed and thinking about monkeys, and all of a sudden I realized that Planet of the Apes. And 2001 A Space Odyssey had to have been on the same year. Like, all of a sudden, I just knew it. And they were released three days apart, which is, you know, that's the death and rebirth of Jesus. Yeah, so... Well, you had the same experience, right, where you just suddenly knew that. Well, it was more that what what uh, so I was, you know, I started from the from the standpoint of... Planet of the Apes and 2001 both had really good ape makeup, right? That was like the sort of dawn of the latex mask in right. in, in Hollywood, uh, you know, makeup. And both of them, you know, even by today's standards, the the the, the makeup is pretty impressive. Um, and so I started there. It's like, well, they both had in like, well, I just kind of did it. This is back to Google research. You click on them and you look, you know, side by side on the uh, IMDb and, and they're both in 1968 and you look at the dates and, and I just started going down that thing and they both, re- I realized they both had this sort of uh, subtext of evolution in them. Yes. And, or, you know, not even subtext. It's like the core of both their, their plots is the evolution thing. Um, and from that point on, it just like, I, I felt as if I was kind of immersed in a synchronistic cloud. And I think that the internet you know, this cloud technology, uh, you know, literally sitting here in my house being bombarded by the, you know, wireless, you know, zapping rays. Uh, I, I just felt like for about three days I wrote this essay and I was shocked at how much stuff was coming up and how weirdly interconnected it was. There's an essay on my um, on my site uh, that the, I was actually – The called Evolution the Evolutionary Triad. triad yeah. yeah, and the triad would Wonderful. be the the – 
monkey or the proto-human, the modern human, and the evolved gray alien, basically. Or the, the star you know, the, child. The star child, the big-headed alien. Yes. Yeah. And the they all – pardon? The moon child. Yes, and it seems like they, they all show up um, – you know, over and over again in different in different lore, and and it it uh, it proved to be a kind of wildly bottomless pit, and it kind of culminated in a way that kind of freaked me out. Where there's all these synchronicities lined up with a Gabriel Giffords shooting down in Tucson, Arizona, um, from a few years ago, and the, you know her astronaut husband and the husbands are twins, and the 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 uh, it just got so weird, and I did not expect it to go down that that you know that avenue. And I think that any highly charged event, right? So, like a highly charged event, like a like a uh, an assassination attempt, like that, uh, will have will generate just because it is so mesmerizingly radiant, and or what's resonant, I guess is a better way to say it. Um, you know, I mean, the horrible event, but but it will have it will. It will generate synchronicities in a cloud around it, and and I think was I tapping into that? Was I tapping into some nefarious? I don't know, but but it certainly I could not deny that these things all um, played out together in 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 a way that 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 I tried to articulate in that in that essay. Okay, so last night, just because I'm getting ready for the Oli Sink Summit and my presentation is on Viggo Mortensen, I was watching the movie called uh, The Prophecy, with uh, where Viggo plays Lucifer. Have you ever heard of this movie before? No. Is what year is it from? Uh, I think it was 1997. Here, my IMDb is on 2001: A Space Odyssey, but it shouldn't take oh, me there. Okay. Yeah. No, no. So keep going. I, I don't um, think I can see it. Basically, has uh, I think it was 1997. The whole theme of the movie is that there is uh, a still going on a, a war in heaven. So, Vigo is Lucifer. He plays an angel. Um, there's another individual you'll be familiar with named Christopher Walken, who plays the angel Gabrielle. Oh yes, yes, it was. A, yes, I liked that movie. Yeah, no, sure, I remember that. Yeah. But during when I was reading your, uh, I mean, I read recently, I reread your The Evolution Triad and got to the part where you're talking about the archangel Gabriel uh, appears to Mary and he tells her, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. This immaculate conception story sounds curiously similar to some of the accounts shared by women who claim alien abduction experiences. These accounts are full of mysterious pregnancies. Was well, that's what walking is going after is to get the soul of the the general who's evil out of the kid whose name is Mary. But the connection is that Christopher Walken basically is Whitley Strieber in the movie, yep. The Communion. Yep. So there's a connection with that too. I couldn't get that out of my head while I was watching that because – And then and over here, let me just interject that, that so Roddy McDowell – uh, read, I guess he, Roddy McDowell was a big fan of the book Communion, and he read aloud both. Uh, so if you buy a book on tape, it's only the, the cassette tape. It's an abridged version of I've Communion. Listen to that, and you cannot help but realize that he's Roddy McDowell because his voice is so distinct. You're absolutely right. Well, so he's Cornelius from Planet of the Apes. So right. he's, yeah, and as well as, uh, um, yeah, so it goes on and on and on. There's all kinds of, yeah, so, so, so. 
Cornelius from Planet of the Apes is uh, who eventually gets taken on a, you know, goes through a wormhole and gets taken in the, one of the sequels, um, uh, gets taken back to to present day Earth anyway. So, uh, yeah, I agree. Yes, it, it, I, the, I delight in these kind of synchronicities. They're, they are fun for me to to play this game and sort of, um, you know, go down these avenues and 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 it and I sense that there is a oh a reason you know like I think it's fruitful to to go down this thing I don't think it's just it's just spinning your wheels oh no it's uh, not a that, parlor trick there's something yeah. else going on here the thing is is I realized because the connection we had made when I was talking to Jake was in that I think it's 1972 King Kong King Kong you know is the KK that that Jake had been so interested in King Kong climbs the two towers. That's where he dies. He dies on the the, the two pillars. Uh, J- Jeff Bridges was also in that movie, uh, The Star Man, I think sure. it was, right, where he comes down and he impregnates a woman. Um, so with with the Star Baby, this alien intelligence. Um, so there was a connection there, and I knew that Jake had also done the 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 end of days. This movie came out in 1999. Has Robin Tunney getting pregnant by this devil baby? But the the twin towers are very prominent in it. That as same, well as the KK is very right, prominent too in it. Yeah, right. The Y2K, and then there's also the uh, there's a weird scene in this movie called the Super Mario Brothers where the twin towers disintegrate. The the two worlds, the King Koopa world and our world, kind of combine, and the twin towers, which have two Ks on them, seem to just melt. And then the next thing you see is Dennis Hopper with this, what they call a de-evolution gun, and he shoots it at this person, and the person becomes a chimpanzee. So it's really weird, because as soon as you see the twin towers disintegrate, you see this de-evolution like, uh, theme. And then, of course, in 1999, there was also another movie with Charlize Theron and Johnny Depp called The Astronaut's Wife, where she's impregnated with the star child. And the Twin Towers, again, show up very prominent in this movie. So I knew there was a connection between this whole ape, this ape theme, the Twin Towers, and that's when I zeroed in on 2001 and the Planet of the Apes being very close together. But there was another movie that came out that year, and that was Rosemary's Baby. And also, that was the groundbreaking year for the first tower. The Twin Towers. Oh, very interesting. Okay, yeah. And I know that um, uh, Alan Green, Alan Abadess Green, is doing work with, uh, I mean, he's been kind of obsessing about Rosemary's Baby and playing um, uh, the White Album album to it, as well as the very opening of the, you know, there's a skyline of the city of, of New York. Like that is the opening credits. And the very first image is this long telephoto, uh, tracking shot and I, the very first image is off way way off in the distance uh and it's the hell's gate bridge right the hell's gate bridge now also this is kind of crazy the guy who plays dr zayas and planet of the apes uh-huh is rosemary's best friend and rosemary's baby she's oh. the, she's hutch the doctor who she's the only person that she can talk to when she's like something funny's going on and then he dies Oh, very interesting. I did not know that. Oh, and then and I got into a kind of a funny Rosemary's Baby thing, and I can't remember the actress's name, but she's the actress that shows up in the Gary Seven episode of of uh, Star Trek as a cat. And then there's like a scene where so it it's kind of a played for comedy a little bit. But and this woman also played 
Rosemary's friend who dies of suicide at the very beginning of of Rosemary's Baby, and she was a Playboy model, and the uh, her image was taped on the notes by uh, funny folks at NASA. So when they opened up their little their little notebook checklist, her image was on the moon uh, when they when the uh, astronauts landed on the moon. Is that her name, Victoria Vitra? Is that correct? Yes. yes. She was, that was actually the year she was playmate in 1968. Well, so here's a question. Um, it it doesn't take much to find the strange attractor and open the wormhole. Can we get lost in this? I mean, we're we're just about. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We can totally. I mean, you can. I feel like I spend 90 percent of my time wondering whether I've spiraled the drain and lost my 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 bearings completely sure yeah. so can we're nearing the end could you offer some advice to people who are just entering into this world and uh, 2009 was a big year for you i think mike it was also a huge year for all of us because it seems like in sync we were all undergoing the same initiation could you offer some advice for people who are just not grounded yet in this field of weirdness oh, yeah, yeah that's i mean that's kind of like you know asking the like you know alcoholic like who's like you know collapsed at the end of the bar you know advice on you know drinking you know so uh, yeah i might not be able to answer anything for that but i would say that so one here one thought is that like if you look at the genesis of the internet right there's it you know you turn back 10 years it was just barely there you turn back 15 years or so which isn't very long that it there wasn't really anything there so this kind of you know, Google beat poetry thing that you can come up with by, by, you know, mix and matching these, these things, I don't think could have happened easily, you know, in the era where you would have to go into a library or a bookstore or something like that. Um, it's happening. It's been accelerated greatly by the, uh, I guess, Robert Anton Wilson and folks were writing books that were very similar before the advent of the internet. But boy, the internet really, you know, lit a fire under the ability to, to do this stuff. Um, so I would just say, so be like if you're going to play this game in a, in essence, just say, like I'm playing this game rather than saying, oh, here's a reality that I've you know where I mean people will I've I've read some stuff and it just kind of curls my toes in my shoes a little bit where they'll say things, and and put out these things as if it is like all tied into you know some grand conspiracy and it's just proof of that grand conspiracy vigilant citizen drives me crazy and certain you know folks that are seeing uh, you know the occult rituals being played out by you know people on the MTV awards and stuff like that you know i mean i i kind of sense that that the 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 folks creating those events are doing it just purely for hype reasons not because they're you know uh, under the guise of the illuminati overlords or anything like that so um just you know be aware that this stuff is playful and also be aware that i guess when you look into the abyss the abyss will look back and and this is something i found sort of in the ufo lore is that people who are really new to this and just sort of are get are really on fire and 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 sort of crazed with the sense of mission and the sense of urgency and then the old timers you know people who've been i know a woman who's she started looking into her own experiences in the mid 80s and you know that's getting on 35 years ago or so now um she she's very uh sort of capable of saying like ah oh, you know this is uh 
this is this is what happens when people first get into this. You know, she recognizes the symptoms in a way. So uh, just be aware that you know this is a, I guess I don't know how to say it. Like the universe is is playing a very playful and often very intense game, and it is reflecting back exactly the energy you put into it. Well, that was 42 minutes. Thank you for sharing it with us. Oh, thanks so much. It's been a delight. You've been listening to Mike Cleland on SyncBook Radio, a production of the SyncBook.com. More information about the work of Mr. Cleland can be found at his website, hiddenexperience.blogspot.com. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests, to check out past shows or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at 42minutes.com. If you like the podcast, please support it by becoming a donor. You'll find the donation link under each episode on the website and consider setting up a monthly charge. Thanks so much. And gentlemen, when two separate events occur simultaneously pertaining to the same object of inquiry, we must always pay strict attention. Well said.
Sigamore Dream 